Yes, I prefer to stand near near the people. <laughs> Very much a uh, part of my life. Um, thank you so much for inviting me, <laughs> even though you didn't invite me. <laughs> uh, but it's good to be with you, and it's good to share my heart. Um, I love your city, Lyon, and I uh, just had a wonderful three days here. I've never been here before, and now I feel like I've been here. It's awesome, and I'm grateful. I've been to France maybe five times, and I'm actually traveling around. What I do is with Youth with the Mission, and I travel and speak. And last week I was speaking in Tunisia for a week, and then before that was London, and the next week is Germany. And the week after that is Norway. So, yes, uh, flying around. And I want to encourage you, flying around is still possible, amen? <laughs> Don't listen to the media, amen? <laughs> Don't get me going, I Yes. I've been to 15 countries and 10 states in America in the last 15 months. And it's been the most fruitful time of my life. And I could go on and on and on and encourage you and challenge you. The Great Commission isn't on vacation. Amen? Let's go into all the world and preach the gospel. Amen? And yeah, I could say a lot about that, but I won't. <laughs> but all glory to God and the privilege, privilege to serve him and do what he's asked us to do. Um, and today I get to be with you here. I grew up and I heard that God was good. But as I got older, I realized that's not the best way to say it. But a better way is that God is really good. <laughs> and then I got older and I realized, ah, oh, that's not a good way, best way maybe. Maybe there's a better way. That God is really, really good. <laughs> Deep theology. <laughs> God is really, 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 like, really, really good. Amen? Tell that to your neighbor. Amen. And throughout my life, I've been discovering this goodness of God. And so that's what I'm going to just tell you a brief story today of how I've been discovering the goodness of God. I grew up in Los Angeles. I have an older sister and a younger sister. I'm from Europe. My parents, my dad is Swiss. And my mother is Swedish, and they met in Los Angeles. <laughs> I don't know how, but uh, I came along a few years later, and it's where I grew up. Um, we heard about God's heart for the world, but really, yeah, we didn't know how it could affect our lives because we had our, we were very happy with our life. But the more you give your life to Jesus, <laughs> watch out. <laughs> Because God has more for us than we could ever dream or imagine. As I prayed for you tonight, I realized that God has more for you than you could ever dream or imagine. That's who Jesus is. Amen? And the more I walk with Jesus, the more I discover a God who wants to use us and do things through our lives. I grew up feeling very ordinary. There were people with great gifts. 
and people with great talents, and then there was me. <laughs> the only thing I was good at growing up was spacing out. <laughs> I still do it all the time. <laughs> people are like, Dan, where are you? I tell them Danland. <laughs> Danland's a great place. You, know, I, you can go there every day. <laughs> I got lots of friends there. There's no COVID, so there's no mask. Yeah, I was driving with my friend at the store a while back, and we were shopping, and during the shopping, I'm like, where are the keys? And my friend's like, oh, you're driving. And I'm like, yeah, that's not the question. The question is, where are the keys? He's like, I don't know. So we go back to the car. I'm thinking I left it in the car, and the car is running. <laughs> Uh, so of course I blamed him. <laughs> Why is it running? Is that your driving? Yeah. So I never thought I would do anything with my life, you know. But I'm discovering when you give your life to Jesus, <laughs> watch out. Yeah. He loves to take ordinary, simple, normal people and do something wonderful. Mm -hmm. Amen. And that's who, who Jesus has been for me. It all started when I was 16. I, I grew up in the church, but it was all in here, not in here. How to get Christianity from your head to your heart? I didn't know. All Christianity was for me was doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing. But how do you actually have a relationship with Jesus? Like every day. I didn't know. And I went to church one day, and somebody said something that changed my life but what I didn't know is it would continue to change my life for the rest of my life. He said this. He said, everything you do for God needs to come from intimacy with God. That whatever you do for God needs to come from intimacy with God. And I remember thinking, well, what is intimacy with God? What does that look like? So I took the afternoon off and I found a river. And I picked up these rocks and throwing them in the river kind of in damn land. <laughs> and I'm thinking, how do you get friendship with God? How do you get friendship with God on Monday and Tuesday? How do you get friendship with God when you're at the store or going, you know, for a walk or sitting at home? And as I'm throwing rocks, I hear a voice in my head, a simple question. Hey, Dan, can I throw rocks with you? I'm like, what was that? So I kept throwing rocks. Like if everything is supposed to come from intimacy with God, how do you work that out? How do you make that happen? And then I heard it a second time. Hey Dan, can I throw rocks with you? I'm like, what was that? So I kept throwing rocks. Like how does it go from a story, not just from somebody speaking, but to like my world, where I live, on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday? I didn't know. And then I heard a third time, hey, Dan, can I throw rocks with you? So I finally stopped. Ah, oh, where is that coming from? I don't think it's the devil, because he wants to throw rocks at us, you know, <laughs> not with us. I don't think it's me, unless I'm going crazy. But it can't be God. No, God's out there, and God's amazing. And yeah, you know, throwing rocks is not important. Why would he care? So I kept throwing rocks, and I kept hearing it in my heart. So I finally stopped, 
Jesus, yes, of course, you can throw hogs with me if that's you, but why? Why do you want to? And I felt like Jesus looked down from heaven and said this right to my heart. Because you want to. I'm like, that's it? He's like, that's it. For the first time in my life, I found out that Jesus was madly in love with me. He wasn't in love with me for what I would do for him. He wasn't love, in love with me for what I would become. He was in love with me because he was in love with me. Like if I want to go for a walk, he wants to go for a walk. That if I want to go to the store, he wants to go to the store. That if I want to throw rocks, he wants to throw rocks. Why? Because the God of the universe had unconditional love for me. Ever struggle with the unconditional love of God? Okay, it's unconditional, but I better do that. Yeah, it's unconditional, but don't do that. No, it is unconditional. There is nothing we can do in our entire life that will make God love us more than he loves us right now. On that day, I discovered that Jesus likes me. I didn't like myself. Why would God like me? Okay, love us. Yeah, he's God. He kind of has to, but like me? <laughs> yeah, on that day I discovered he likes me. <laughs> he likes you. He told me that this morning. <laughs> Tell your neighbor Jesus likes you. <laughs> what I didn't know is I discovered the love of God is I would discover it throughout my whole life. As I travel, I meet two kinds of Christians. Those that are living for the Father's approval and those that are living from the Father's approval. So many Christians, if I just do a little bit more, God will be happy with me. And those of us who've discovered, no, we're in, we're in, and we can live our whole life from this reality. As I discover the love of God, this has been my journey. So many days I wake up, Jesus, good morning. What should I do? And he says, Dan, good to see you. We'll talk about that later. But first, here's more of my love. <laughs> and life goes on, and I wake up. Okay, God, good morning. What should I do? And God's like, Dan, good to see you. We'll talk about that later. But first, here's more of my love. <laughs> and life goes on, and Okay, God, I know you love me, but what should I do? And God says, Dan, good to see you. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. But first, here's more of my love. <laughs> and the love of God is an unending ocean. Love is the deepest motivator of the human heart. And when you know your love, what do you want to do? You want to respond and love back. How do you love God back? You find out what's on his heart. And you want to tell the world about this wonderful Jesus. Yeah. And the more I discovered the love of God, the more it changed my life. And all I wanted to do was let people know about Jesus. And man, it's changing my life again and again and again and again and again. As I read through the Gospels, it is such a picture of what we see, isn't it? These very simple, normal people discover this man Jesus, and it changes everything. Because <laughs> they discover who he is. They discover how much he loves them. And they just want the whole world to know about it. And it's very much been my journey. My journey <clears throat> took me overseas 
I uh, fell in love with the Muslim world and God sent me to Afghanistan to tell you so many stories. I love Muslims. Muslims are some of my dearest friends in my life. I would encourage you get to know Muslims. They're wonderful people. Many of them have taught me about Jesus. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. That's why. And I love it. I love living in Afghanistan with Muslims. There's many Afghans here. Wonderful people. Such wonderful people. I sat with them and ate their food and got to know them, enjoyed them as people. And God just won my heart. I tell you so many stories from Afghanistan. But while I was there, I did another trip that would change my life. Me and my friend were talking one day about a neighboring nation called Iran. And we had heard about Iran. We knew it was the same language as Afghanistan. And me and my friend were like, ah, why don't we go and share Jesus there? So we prayed, and we felt this tug in our heart. I'm a dual citizen, American and Swiss, through my dad. My friend was South African. Both Switzerland and South Africa have embassies in Iran, so we thought we could maybe get visas. But the reality is, is as we prayed about going on a trip, there was tension in my heart. You know why? Because I was afraid. I was afraid because I know what they do to Americans. I was afraid because I know what could happen. And as I've lived my life in Afghanistan where there's war, lived in so many places where there's hardships, I've realized something about fear. And it's simply this. There is never a fear that can keep us from obeying God. Getting over fear is not the issue. The issue is obeying God. The issue is, can something stop us from doing what God's asked us to do? No, nothing has to stop us. And fear comes to drive us away from simply doing what God's asked us. And as I've been walking with Jesus, the more I realize that I struggle with fear, I run to Jesus. Well, if I struggle with fear five times a day, and I run to Jesus five times a day, who will I get to know? Jesus. So if I struggle ten times a day, and run to him ten times a day, who will I get to know those ten times? Jesus. So who will I get, which of those two times will I get to know Jesus more? Five times or ten times? Ten times, right? So what does that make fear? Fear becomes an invitation. It's an invitation to discover the greatness of God, an invitation to discover the goodness of God, and that's been my journey throughout my life, discovering it in Afghanistan, discovering it during the war, and discovering it again as God sent, spoke to me and my friend to go share Jesus in Iran. We got visas. Our outreach was $16 for a bus ticket. <laughs> and we went into Iran. I love Iran. Yeah, I love Iran. Had a wonderful, wonderful time in Iran. Do you know that it's the fastest growing church in the world today? More people are coming to Jesus in Iran than any other nation in the world in terms of percentages growing. First day I was there, I was sitting eating a hamburger. Life is good. <laughs> and I feel a tap on my shoulder. And I turn around, as I turn around, it's a man and he says, uh, you speak English? I said, yes I do. He said, uh, where are you from? I said, America. He said, oh, I heard Americans know about Jesus. 
I said, some do. I do. He's like, can you tell me? I'm like, sure. So we go to his house. He gathers 50 people, and we spend the night talking about Jesus. We were overwhelmed by the hunger for Jesus all across Iran. Yes, we have the challenges of the government and the situation, but underneath that, there is so much hunger. Every night we got enjoyed their hospitality, enjoyed who they are as people, enjoyed being with them. We had a wonderful two weeks. But then things changed. As we got to the border to leave, they took our passports. We were on a local bus. Everyone got theirs back, except for me and my friend. We waited, we waited. Finally, the bus driver came and said, are you coming? Like, yeah, we're waiting for our passports. And the bus left. We had to wait about six hours. I speak the Iranian language. It's very similar to Afghanistan. So when they came, we're like, what happened? They said, sorry, sorry, come with us. And they led us to another building. And it was there that they didn't explain why, but they brought us to a building, and then they separated us. And that's when they began to beat me. For about six hours, hitting me in the face, spitting on me, yelling at me. They've been doing the same to my friend in another room. They brought us together and they blindfolded us. They finally let us down these stairs. They took away all our clothes. They put us in prison clothes. They finally took us to the bottom and they separated us. And that's when they put me into one cell and my friend into another one. And we were in prison in Iran. What is life like in prison in Iran? The first thing I want to tell you is about the goodness of God. That God is still good even when we don't feel it. That God is still good even when it doesn't, you don't see it. The very first day I was in prison, I cried out to God. I'm like, Jesus, how long will I be here? And I felt like God speak to my heart, Dan, you're going to be here for nine weeks. I was like, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. <laughs> Sometimes you get it wrong, you know. <laughs> Maybe the nine was right and it was nine minutes, you know. <laughs> I never knew one day to the next how long I would be there. But the day I was released was nine weeks to the minute. Exactly when God said, why? It's all about God. My cell was tiny like this. I slept on the floor, there was no mattress, there was a toilet and a sink, and this was my life. What do you do in prison? <laughs> I used to go for walks, <laughs> four steps and turn around. They came twice a day with food, and as they came with food, they would open the door, they had a little plate for me that I had, and there was a cart to the food, and I would stick it out. I remember that first day sticking out my plate. They gave me rice and veggies. And the first day, they gave me three sugar cubes. I'm like, I wonder what it's for. I didn't know. And the next thing I know is they give me a cup of tea. And I'm thinking, oh, the sugar cubes are for the tea. And then I thought, I don't need to put them in the tea. Like, I could shave the same sugar cubes. Because you never know when you need a sugar cube. <laughs> so that's what I did. So after a while, I had a lot of sugar cubes. <laughs> and then one day, one day I thought, wait a minute. 
And they came, and I looked, where are they taking the sugar cubes from? Well, there were boxes of sugar cubes. So I looked at them and said, hey, can I have a whole box of sugar cubes? They're like, sure. <laughs> and I had over a thousand sugar cubes. <laughs> There's so much fun to have with a sugar cube, there really is, you know? Like every day I would make like pictures like, you know, buildings, you know, cities. <laughs> Forget Legos. <laughs> sugar cubes. <laughs> I've lost the wonder of sugar cubes. <laughs> But it's good to look back and laugh. It's good to look back and laugh. Why? Because it was the hardest time of my life. God's good, then why am I there? I had two death sentences on my life. One for being a missionary and one for being a spy. And with that came depression. I would sleep one or two hours a night, completely depressed, completely gone. And it led to the worst day of my life. I don't always share this story, but I felt I should tonight. But there I was one morning, and I woke up, and inside I was finished. And as I was finished, I had this thought, damn, why spend the rest of your life here? Leave. Get out. And all of a sudden, I had an idea. It was a sink in the room. And I could take my sock and plug the sink. If I filled it with water, if I filled it with water and then I put my head into the sink, there were places on the side of the sink to tie a towel. If I had my towel and tied it really tight on this end, I could put it over my head with my face down in the water. And if I tied it really tight on this end, six, seven minutes when I can't breathe, I can untie it past it. And I'm like, Dan, do it. Why stay here? And four times I tried. And every time I tried, I was too scared. I was too scared to tie the towel tight. And I'll never forget that last time. I tried and I failed. And I fell to the ground. If I was ever aware of my shame, I was aware of my shame at that moment. If I was ever broken, I was broken at that moment. And then something happens. Ha ha, Jesus. The room starts to shake. As the room starts to shake, I lift my head. I've had many visions in my life, and this is one of those. But as I'm looking at the wall, I have a vision of Jesus, very similar to what we might have seen in Middle Eastern movies or Middle Eastern pictures of Jesus. But as I looked at the vision, I saw his face. There was no anger. There was only kindness, only compassion, and a big, big smile. And I felt like Jesus looked down to me and he said these simple words, Dan, I still like you. Dan, I still want you. And if you let me, Dan, I'll take care of you. And from that day until today, I've never had those thoughts again. That's who Jesus is. He did not just rescue me from prison. No, he rescued me from me. That in the midst of my challenges and my problems, he was still bigger and he still wanted me. That's who he is. Life went on in prison. One day they took me out and they 
put me in a room. He said, it's shower day. I'm like, what? And I look around, and sure enough, I see a shower. So as I look at the shower, I hear the door close. When the door closed, I don't hear the lock. So I look on my side, <laughs> I had a lock on my side. So I locked the door. And that shower was good, you know, it was hot and good water pressure. After five minutes, they come hitting the door. Get out of the shower. I'm like, coming. <laughs> and I enjoyed the shower. It was so hot and so nice. Five minutes later, they hit the door again. We said, get out of the shower. I said, coming. <laughs> and I enjoy the shower. I mean, what are they going to do? Put me in prison? <laughs> I'm already there. So I spent an hour in the shower. <laughs> I finally came out. They're like, why'd you take so long? And I'm like, I got nothing else to do. <laughs> But while I was there, I did get to see the goodness of God. Let me tell you a couple stories. All glory to Jesus. All glory to Jesus. One day they took me to a courthouse. I didn't know why. And they said, oh, it's your trial. I'm like, I have a trial? They're like, yes, today, for the two death sentences. They walk me into a room, hundreds of people. I'm standing there, and in walks the judge. And he looks at me, and he says this. Sir, this is your last chance to speak. Tell us today why. Why did you come to Iran? I would love to tell you I was not scared. No, I was scared. <laughs> and I'm shaking. And then something happened. Ha <laughs> ha, Jesus. And a scripture pops up in my mind, Matthew 10, 19. Don't be afraid when you're called before the authorities. For at that time, I'll give you the words to say. So I looked at the judge and I said, Sir, I came here to tell you about Jesus Christ. I'm like, what did I say? <laughs> but when I said it, something woke up within me. And the fear that I was struggling, struggling with started to fade away. And the truth of who I really was started to rise. And I said it a second time. And a third time. And I ended up preaching over half an hour. <laughs> Jesus loves you, and he loves you, and he loves you, and maybe why you're wondering why you're here today. Well, Jesus loves you, and he loves you, and I just got going. And about halfway through my sermon, unplanned, I realized something else. I was free. I was free. Why? Because you can't kill a dead man. You can't kill a dead man. And I've given my life so many times to Jesus. So what if they kill me? My home is heaven. And no one can take that away. And they can do something with this body. But they cannot touch what God's done in my heart. And I kept preaching. <laughs> and they didn't kill me. <laughs> you probably realize that. <laughs> Another day when I was sitting in my room... Every night I would hear chatter around the prison. It was very quiet except for certain voices of chatter. One night I heard one guard talking with other guards. 
and this was their conversation. One man says, these two foreign Christians, they keep talking about Jesus. They seem really in love with Jesus, excited about Jesus. Why, why do they talk about him? Well, another one of his friends there, another guard, said, well, I know what they believe. And he's like, how do you know? And he goes, oh, there was somebody else here two years ago as a prisoner, and he told me all about his faith in Jesus. So the man's like, can you tell me? He's like, sure. So he became the evangelist. <laughs> and he started telling his friends all about the truth of the gospel. I sat in my cell and listened. The next night, that same conversation came up again. The man was like, tell me more, tell me more. And it went on for three nights where three men were discussing the things of the Lord that this one man had heard. And after three nights, the man who started the conversation said this, man, everything you're saying about this Jesus sounds so right. These foreigners, they have purpose. They've got a reason to live and a reason to die. I don't have that. I want that. And tonight, I'm giving my life to Jesus. And his friends are like, us too, us too. And three men gave their lives to Jesus. <clears throat> Another thing that God did was a process. Started from the very beginning. The very first day that they were beating me, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said this, Dan, I want to teach you to love your enemies. I'm like, not a good time. <laughs> And the man kept beating me. And I didn't know it, but I would be beaten every day, but only by that same man. And that first day as he's beating me, the Lord said it again, Dan, I want to teach you to love your enemies. I'm like, God, how? This, this is very unjust. This is not right. And wonderful Jesus changed the subject. I love how he does that often in my life. And he says this, he says, Dan, ask me what I think of him. And I'm like, okay, God, what do you think of this man? And the love of God hit me. I realized that God knew his name. God knew the name of his wife and his kids. That God had always loved him. There was only one challenge, and it was that he didn't know. I'm like, God, you really love him. He's like, Dan, more than you'll ever know. I'm like, God, change my heart, change my heart. And all glory to God in the coming weeks, God changed my heart. I started to bless him and say nice things. I'll never forget the last day I saw him. I did not know it would be the last day I'd see him. They called me into his room. There was always blood stains on the floor, and he would stand there. I would always shake. But on that day, something happened. <laughs> Jesus. And I looked at him on that day, and I said, Sir, if I'm going to see you the rest of my life, why don't we become friends? He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, if we see each other every day, let's be friends. He's like, we will never be friends. And something rose up within me. I said, no, sir, today things change. And we can start by exchanging names. He had never told me his name. That wasn't allowed. My name was 58 because that was the number of my cell. I said, sir, let's become friends today and start by shaking hands and exchange names. 
And that's when I took my hand and stuck it out to his. And that's when he froze. And that's when he started to shake, started to look around, just me and him in there. Then he took his hand out of his pocket and he shook my hand. When he shook my hand, he wouldn't let go. When he wouldn't let go, tears started to roll down his face. And he looked at me and he said, Dan. And he called me by my name. He said, my name is Razak, a common Iranian name, and I would love to be There is no heart too hard for Jesus. Jesus can change the hardest heart. He finally let go and he wiped the tears from his eyes. He's like, Dan, I'm so glad we're friends. I'm like, yeah, me too. <laughs> He's like, Dan, I'm so, so sorry. I said, let's go forward. Let's go forward. He's like, Dan, but I don't have the authority to get you out. I said, I know that. He's like, is there anything else you want? I'm like, yeah, bigger room. <laughs> More room for my sugar cubes. <laughs> He's like, you got a lot of sugar cubes? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> He's like, let me see what I can do. And I've never seen that man again in my life. But that night, the night guards came and said, sir, we have orders to move you to a bigger room. And I knew that God had changed that man's life. Because there's no heart to heart to my friend was released after five weeks. South Africa is a big buyer of Iranian oil. He got a phone call from Nelson Mandela. <laughs> Guess it helps who you know. <laughs> and he got out. And my life continued. I'll never forget one day they put me on a bus. I sat next to an African man. I'm like, oh, maybe he speaks English. I said, excuse me, do you speak English? He said, yes, I do. And I recognized the accent. I'm like, where are you from? He said, Louisiana, America. <laughs> I'm like, you're an American? He's like, yeah. I said, so am I. We're like, what's up, what's up? <laughs> I'm like, dude, how long you been here? He's like, 15 months. I'm like, you're joking. He's like, no, 15 months. I said, why? He's like, I don't know. And they heard us talking, and they quit us talking. I've never seen that man again in my life. I do know he got out. He got out a few months after me. But I'll never forget that night. I mean, every night I would have a moment of dreaming of getting out. I don't care how I got out, you know? Brad Pitt or Matt Damon with a rope from the works. <laughs> or what about the Christian thing, you know, an angel at the door? <laughs> and that night I got really honest. I'm like, Dan. He's been here 15 months. He's American. You're American. Dan, what if you're here 15 months? Dan, what if you're here like five years? Like 10 years? And my heart sunk. And I remember that night looking up to God. I just wanted one thing. I just wanted to understand. I just wanted to understand. How could this be like the plan? How could this be like what God wanted? And God said, nothing. And I don't know the time, it must have been two or three in the morning, but finally my heart just gave up. 
And I looked up to God and I said, God, I don't know why I would sit here the rest of my life, but that's okay. I trust you. I trust you. And I gave up control. I trust you, God. I trust you with what I don't understand. I trust you with what I don't see. I trust you with what doesn't make any sense. One of the biggest challenges in our world today is God wants to get rid of control. And I had to say to God, I trust you. I trust you with what I don't understand. I trust you with what I don't see. And as I said those simple words of trusting God, peace and joy flooded my soul again. And he won my heart again. What happens when God wins our heart? He often has a surprise around the corner. For me, it was literally three hours later. They opened my door. They said, gather your things. I didn't have many things. <laughs> sugar kids. <laughs> they were like, you got a lot of sugar kids. I'm like, oh yeah. So I put them all in my blanket. They lead me down to this room. They said, get dressed. I'm expecting another set of prison clothes. But instead, it's my clothes. I'm like, what? Why are they making me wear my clothes? They didn't fit. I lost 25 kilos. So I'm holding my pants like this. And my only thought is I'm probably getting dressed because many days I heard executions. And I thought maybe it was my day. But they took me out to a bus. They took me to a courthouse. But this time not to a trial room, but simply to an office. And as I sat down, a man walks in. Turns out that he was the head judge of all the courts of Iran. And he simply said this. He says, today, as we've been working with the Swiss Embassy, we choose to release Dan Bauman, and he's a free man. <laughs> and I'm thinking I'm going to die. <laughs> and Jesus was like, surprise, <laughs> the best surprise. <laughs> I stood up and the Swiss ambassador comes up to me, he was in the room. He's like, you're coming with me. I'm like, yes, sir. <laughs> uh, and I got on the, got into his car and I locked the door. <laughs> I had to be at his house for three days. I was released from prison by an executive order of the president of Iran, that's how I got out. He overruled the parliament or the Congress of Iran. So the man, my ambassador friend, said, you, we gotta get you out of the country. Took three more days and I finally got a flight to Germany with a connecting flight to Switzerland. I remember finally getting on that plane thinking, God, tell the pilot to go, tell the pilot to go. I was so nervous because I'm still in the country. <laughs> and we finally took off. In Germany we had an I had a three-hour layover, and because we'd been delayed on the flight, the airline said, we'll give you a free, a free <clears throat> breakfast if you have the time. So I found the cafe, and I got a free breakfast. As I looked for a place to sit, I finally found a table with an empty chair. I went like this, and the people there said like this, so I sat down. After a while, one of the men spoke to me, and he said, where are you from? Do you speak English? I said, yeah, I, I do speak English. I'm from America. 
He's like, oh, you speak English? Well, we're all Iranian, and we all speak English, too. And you look familiar. Like, we all came from Iran, and you look like you were on that plane with us from Iran. I'm like, yeah, I just came from Iran. They're like, oh, did you have a good time? <laughs> I'm like, well, uh, uh, the first few days were good, two weeks, and I went here and here and here. They're like, awesome. How long were you there? I said, I was there about 11 weeks. Oh, you said the first two weeks were good. I said, oh, they were good. So where were you the last nine weeks? I'm like, that's a direct question. <laughs> oh. And I'm sitting there, and the Holy Spirit's like, be honest. So Evin would be the household name of the most notorious <laughs> political prison in the country. So I said, I've been in Evin. And their eyes lit up. Are you Daniel Bauman? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> How do you know my name? They said, oh, we get papers from the government. And they said they caught an American spy named Daniel Bauman. But we don't agree. We don't think you're a spy. We don't agree with a lot of what our government does. And for the next 15 minutes, they asked me the most loving question. Did they hurt you? Why did they hurt you? Did they beat you? Why did they beat you? Very loving questions. Finally, I had to catch my flight. I said, I'm so sorry, but I have to go. They said, no, 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 sir, wait. And three of these men stood up, and they all had tears running down their face. They said, please forgive our government for what they did to you, because that is not the heart of the Iranian people. Oh, I love Iran. <laughs> I love Iranian people. And I flew to Afghanistan, flew to Switzerland. And God saved my life. I could walk around again. I could look at the sky again. I could use my phone again. I didn't have to play with sugar cubes anymore. <laughs> but the greatest freedom God gave me back was that once again I could throw rocks with God. Once again I could enjoy the lover of my soul. Since that time, I've been all over the world many times. I go to Afghanistan twice a year. I've been many times to Turkmenistan, many times to Iraq and Saudi Arabia and Dubai. If you look on a map, I've been all around Iran. <laughs> People ask me, are you going back to Iran? <laughs> Not today. <laughs> I'm busy. <laughs> what gets us up in the morning, you know? What gets us to go that extra mile when things are hard? Yeah. For me, it all goes back to when I was 16, when I discovered the love of God. Why? Because I'd rather live my life stepping out in what do I think he's telling me to do than waiting till I feel right, than waiting till I don't feel any fear, till waiting till it's all nice. Why? Because he's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. And the whole Christian life comes down to this, trust and obey. But there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Yeah, amen. Amen. I hope none of you ever have to go to prison. 
But maybe some of you face something that looks impossible. Maybe you face something that's just really hard. God sent me here today to let you know if he can rescue me from prison, he can rescue you. He can make the impossible possible because he's really good. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.